Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. That's where our study is going to be. We've talked about this as we were been studying the book of Romans, or actually just key verses in Romans that, uh, for some, the book of Romans is their favorite book in the whole Bible. For some, chapter 8 is their favorite chapter in the whole book. And for some, these last verses, they would say, are the best in the whole chapter. We're going to be looking mainly at verses 35 through 39, but I want to begin our lesson by reading starting in verse 28 of Romans 8. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The theme of this great chapter is assurance. It's being convinced. And Paul says, I am convinced that nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. And we should have great confidence in our no condemnation status before God. So I want to begin with this, ask you a question, and I put it on the top of your study guide. Have I moved from I feel condemned to I am convinced? Have I moved from I feel condemned to I am convinced? See, it's easy to agree with a theological truth in our heads, but it's a whole other story to live it out in our daily life. And there's so much evidence that proves it's hard for us to escape that that mindset, that prison of that spirit of condemnation, one proof is that we continually drift back to a man-centered religion. When someone asks you about the source or the basis of your assurance, do you answer in first person or third person? Ever ask yourself, why do I do these things? Why do I believe what I believe? Why do I give of my means? Why do I serve? Why do I turn the other cheek? Why do I go the second mile? We read these passages about grace and faith, and we understand obedience. Barry talked about that last week. And, and if you weren't here, I encourage you to get both the morning and the evening lessons. Get online and listen to those. But for some of us, it's almost as if, no matter what the Bible says, our default setting in our brains is that we've got to do enough to earn our salvation, to earn our way. 
We feel like our salvation is dependent upon our performance. Have I done enough to be in good standing with God? I first came to know about World Vision when I was on a mission trip in, in South America. World Vision, you may know, is a global Christian organization. They do, they do a lot of things in the name of Jesus, especially for children. Well, in 2011, there was a South African marathon runner, just seasoned runner. His nickname was JVR. He and three of his running buddies decided to run 100 miles. And they wanted to do this in, a, in an effort to get 100 sponsors of children through World Vision. And their plan was they would run all of those miles in their home country, but then the last 26.2 would be in the Chicago Marathon. Well, during that race, they all did it. They all did well, but in the middle of that race, JBR started feeling some fatigue. He made it, but as he finished and he made his way to their tent, their little team's tent, he barely made it. In fact, the medics realized something was wrong. His kidneys were failing. They took him to the hospital, and he stayed there for two weeks in intensive care. His body trying to recover from the stress of running all these miles and he survived, JVR did, but he admitted that doing extreme challenges may not be the best thing, even though it's in the name of a great cause and for a good reason. And I thought about that, and if you're familiar with why we call that race a marathon, it goes back, the legend says, to a Greek messenger, Pheidippides, who ran 26.2 miles, not in a race, but to carry a message from Marathon to Athens, Greece. And when he delivered the message... He fell over dead. See, that should be warning enough not to do something like that, right? I share JVR's story because we may not run a marathon race, but there's something about us where we think just like that. Here's what he said after the story. A lot of me doing the 100 miles was about wanting to achieve. I am addicted to performance. And then he says, when I meet God, he'll probably say, what were you thinking? I never ask you to do that. Well, here's another evidence, I think, of our struggle that we deal with this spirit of condemnation is our reaction to what he talks about here in this, this chapter, the groanings of life. One of my challenges of studying this, the book of Romans is which passages to cover and which ones not. Because we could spend a whole week talking about what he mentions earlier in chapter 8 about suffering. How do you suffer as a Christian? And there's passages about hope. There's passages in chapter 8 about prayer. And this letter to the Romans helps us to understand this key truth about condemnation. That you'll never escape this prison of condemnation as long as the deliverance is all up to you. Your performance. Paul says the key to freedom is to be convinced about God's love. And we know this. He didn't just save all this to chapter 8. In chapter 5, verse 8, he says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God went first. 1 John 3, 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. God's love is totally self-initiated. It can be trusted. We can have assurance because it's based on his nature. And not ours. It does require transformation though. To become convinced of his great love. Because it's unlike anything else. We have ever experienced. In fact. 
Paul would help us to understand it takes God's help. It's not just about, about hearing about it or reading about it. We need God's help to get it. In Ephesians chapter 3, he wrote this, this whole idea of understanding the love. Look at verses 17 through 19. It says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints. Power for what? To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. His prayer is that we would get it. His prayer is that we would have the power, the ability to understand this love and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. I mean, you'll never fully get it. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. See, Paul had experienced this full measure of God. This assurance and courage that comes from that. When he said nothing could separate from God's love, he was not just speaking hypothetically because it sounded good. He lived it. He experienced it. In the book of Philippians, he wrote this. Remember, he wrote the book of Philippians, this letter, while he was in prison. It says in verse, chapter 1, verse 13, It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So Paul had experienced, he had become convinced of this love of God. But even those around him saw it too. They witnessed it. They experienced it. They, become, they became courageous and without fear. Look at your study guide. I want to make sure that we understand this. God has proved that his love never fails. God has proved that His love never fails. I think one reason we struggle to comprehend God's love is because we tend to compare God's relationship with us with every other relationship that we have. And we understand that because that's our basis of experience. But God's love is not a contract. It's a covenant. See, so much of life is not like that. It's not a covenant. It is a contract. You do well at practice, you do well on the game, you stay on the team. You work hard, you do your job, you get to keep your job, maybe even get a promotion. You study, you go to class, you make the grade. If you don't eat right, you don't exercise, then you become obese, you have all kinds of health problems that could have been prevented. And even so many of our human relationships are dependent upon our actions, but not with God. God's love is so much higher than ours. God's love is not an if, it's an even if. You can do nothing to make God love you more or less. You can do nothing to make God love you more or less. Now, we say, I love you because, and there's so many cards that say that, I love you because you're kind, I love you because you're good, I love you because you're thoughtful, I love you because... You're easy to love. And we understand that there are some people who are easy to love and some people who are not easy to love. That's how we love, but that is not how God loves. Being loved by God doesn't mean that you don't need to make some changes. That you do need to make some changes. But nothing can change God's love for you. Paul Harvey told some amazing stories. Like Jack Benny. When Jack Benny was a young man, he saw a woman at work that caught his eye, but he wasn't sure where to begin. 
So anonymously, he sent her a red rose. And the next day, he sent her another red rose. And the next day, yet another. But he never attached his name. Finally, after receiving a rose for several days in a row, the young lady was so overcome with curiosity, she went to the florist and found out, who is sending me these roses? She found out it was Jack Benny. So she went to him at work and says, why are you sending me these roses? He said, would you like to go out with me? And they started dating. And they continued dating. And every day they dated, he continued to send her the red rose. They got engaged. They got married. And the daily rose continued throughout their honeymoon. Every day through their first year of marriage. Through their second year of marriage. Through their tenth year of marriage. But after many years of marriage, Paul told that Jack Benny died. But strangely, his widow continued to receive a red rose every day. Well, about two weeks after he had died and she was trying to get on with her life, she thought, I need to call the florist and talk to them. And she did. And she said, you probably don't know this, but my husband, Jack Benny, died and you don't need to be sending those roses every day. And the florist said, oh no, you don't understand. Your husband made arrangements for you to receive a rose for the rest of your life. The love continues. Listen to Isaiah 54, verse 10. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be moved, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. And some of you have lived through times, maybe you're in a time where your world has been shaken. Some translations render that crumble. And you feel like your world is crumbling. But I want to make sure we get this. Paul does not say God's love will separate us from hardships or trials. Because sometimes we hear that. And sometimes we think that. But the Bible doesn't say that. So let's make sure we hear what he's saying. How can we be more than conquerors if there is nothing to conquer? God's love does not separate us from all these things. But none of these things can separate us from the, God's love. See, people get in a hard place theologically when they get that crossed. And it's not uncommon. Let me kind of share this as a parenthetical thought. I wonder how much, how often, when you and I are reading the Bible or maybe listening to a lesson, how much we read or we listen to affirm what we already believe. To confirm what somebody else has already taught us. To just kind of agree with what we learned as a child or what our parents said or our grandparents said. I thought about that and I thought, you know, at one time the whole world thought the earth was flat. Everybody accepted that. But I've always been thought, told, until they learned better. It wasn't that long ago that the best in our medical community practiced bloodletting. We think about that and how could because we, we learned better. We grew in our understanding. We learned the truth. Not just what was commonly believed. Not just what I was always taught. May I challenge you. When you read the word of God. Listen to the word of God. What does the Bible say? What is God teaching you? Not what I've always thought. Not what I've always heard. 
But what does Scripture say? Open your ears, open your mind, and read the truth. The Bible never says God will keep you from difficulty or pain. Again, how are you going to be more than conquerors if there is nothing to conquer? But somehow in our childlike thinking, when troubles come, we're tempted to think, God's deserted me. God, where are you? Why is this happening to me? God, why are you allowing this? As if this is God's fault. As if He is going back on His Word. We overcome in all these things because we experience God's love in all these things. His love never fails. Let me share what I mean if you want to fill in the blanks. We experience His love in life and in death. We see that in life, but also in death. Death is a great separator, but God's love is greater. His love does not rescue us from death. It raises from death. We experience His love in spiritual warfare. There is no supernatural power that can pull you away from God, that can nullify His keeping power. Jesus, in talking about Himself as a shepherd, said, No one can snatch you out of My hand. Nothing. No one. Now the demons want to convince you that God's forgotten you, that He's abandoned you, He's not hearing your prayers, but His keeping power, His love is greater and more convincing. We experience His love in time. Something past, present, or future that's going to change God's love for you. No circumstance happens where God says, Ooh, I didn't see that coming. Or I wasn't ready for that. He's bigger than that. We experience His love in space. You can't run from God. You can't hide from God. You're never beyond the reach of God's love. There's so many passages in Scriptures that talk about this, but Psalm 33 verse 5 simply says, The earth is full of His unfailing love. Isn't that an awesome thought? It is true. The earth is full of His unfailing love. Nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Some years ago on a hot summer day in South Florida, there was a little boy that wanted to go swimming. He had a swimming hole right in his backyard. So he took off running, lost his shoes and his shirt, jumped in. His mother's in the kitchen watching the whole thing. And as the little boy jumped in to swim out, she noticed an alligator swimming toward the shore. Overcome with fear, she just ran out the door, started screaming his name. Thankfully, the little boy heard and turned around and started swimming back to the dock. So the mother's running to the dock. The boy is swimming back, but so is the alligator. And just as the little boy reaches up and grabs the mom's hands, the alligator grabs the little boy's legs. And what happened next, what seemed like an eternity, was this amazing tug of war. The alligator, much stronger than that woman, but her persistence would not let go. A farmer was driving by, heard the screams, grabbed his gun and ran and was able to shoot the alligator. And they pulled the boy to safety. He survived after several weeks in the hospital. Made all the news. Of course, everybody wants to hear about that kind of story. When the boy was finally home and recuperating, a, a local reporter came to interview him, getting the story, trying to understand what all happened. The reporter asked, if she could see some of the scars 
from that horrible accident. And he very proudly pulled up his pant leg and showed her the scars. But then he said this, but look at my arms. And he pulled up his shirt sleeve. I have great scars on my arms too. I had them because my mom wouldn't let go. We understand that kind of staying power, that kind of persistence, that kind of, I'm not letting go. Your father will never let go. Your father will never give up. Your God will always love you. He loved you before you knew him. He loved you before you had faith in him. And even as your faith grows or even if your faith wavers, if you turn your back on God, his love is still there. He never gives up. And he's going to be pulling for you until the day of eternity. His love is the same. Psalm 13 verse 5 says, But I trust in your unfailing love. Remember Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 13? Love never fails. So God has proved his love never fails. And then secondly, God has proved that his love always feels. This chapter 8 opens with the words, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that spirit of condemnation caused so many people to look for love in all the wrong places. Seeking validation, seeking acceptance, seeking approval. But when you grasp the greatness of his love, you stop chasing things that promise but cannot deliver. You no longer feel the pressure to conform just to win the approval of others. You're not collecting things of value to, to deceive yourself that, that now you have value. You no longer have to be defined by performance or even appearance. But that decision to believe is a daily decision. It must be made daily. Jude 21 says, keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, the question, have I moved to I am convinced? I know you know this. But do you know this? Do you know this? Are you convinced? Maya Angelou wrote that years ago when she was a young lady, she moved to San Francisco. She wanted to become sophisticated. In her mind, when you went to San Francisco, that's what you were supposed to do. And, and for that reason, she became ag agnostic. She kind of put the two together. She said, it wasn't like I, I stopped believing in God. But in her words, she said, God just no longer frequented the neighborhoods that she frequented. She was taking voice lessons. She was trying to make her break onto the stage. Her teacher gave her an exercise where she was reading some words out of a religious pamphlet. In the last line, the last sentence of the last line were these words, God loves me. And her teacher said to her, I want you to read that last sentence again. So she picked up the pamphlet and she read it again rather sarcastically. And the teacher said, read it again. Read it again. Read it again. Then she described what happened. About the seventh repetition, I began to sense that there might be some truth to the statement. That there is a possibility that God really loves me. And I suddenly began to cry at all the grandness of it all. 
I knew if God loved me, I could do wonderful things. I could do great things. I could learn anything. I could achieve anything. For what could stand against me with God since one person, any person with God, forms a majority? You are loved. But are you convinced? Look again at verses 38 to 39. Romans 8. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's love never changes. But growing in confidence in His love will surely change you. It did Paul. It did those who were around him in prison in Philippi. But I want to make sure you get this. No separation means no intimidation. And sometimes it brings all those awful times to get this. Courage comes from being able to trust in something that you know is reliable. You put all your weight on it. That's what trust means. And it takes a certain boldness to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. To be a completely committed follower of Jesus. Cross-carrying is not for wimps. Paul's change for Christ made others live courageously to speak fearlessly. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. So don't hide behind timidity by calling that humility. Because they're not the same thing. There is no reason to be afraid. And we throw that out there, I'm afraid of this or I'm afraid of that without even realize what we're saying. If the gospel is true, what do we have to fear? Whom do we have to fear? You are loved. Scott Nagy was the head coach for the South Dakota State Jackrabbits for 21 seasons. Some of you are thinking, I never even knew there was Jackrabbits as a, as a mascot. I didn't know much about him. I read a little article. I discovered that he and his wife adopted a child from Haiti, that he and his wife are very involved in, in getting shoes to an orphanage from which she came. But the 2011-2012 Jackrabbit team matched the school record of 27 wins and won their way to the NCAA tournament. And that's when the attention came about him and about his team, but especially about the theme for that year. According to the New York Times, play like your love was the slogan that he shared with his players. The Times reported this. We don't run around like we're a lovey-dovey commune, says Nagy. What I want our guys to know is that family, teammates, and coaches love them. And you don't have to perform in order to know that you're loved. I don't know if that's a good coaching technique. But it's a great theological perspective for those who are following Jesus. The article shared that there was another team in that same March Madness year that their theme was play angry. Kind of understand that. That kind of goes without saying. But even as I say that, you're probably thinking, I know some Christians who live like that. You know, maybe some churches who live like that. That's their slogan. And what we know is when we live like that, that does nothing to lift up Jesus in the eyes of someone who does not believe Maybe, maybe those of us who wear the name of Jesus should take a cue from Coach Nagy. According to ESPN, the team speech 
as they were winning that, that final, that 27th game that led them go to the NCAA tournament, ended with this. I want you to play like you're loved. Play freely. Love isn't dependent on your performance. No matter how you play, you are loved. Play with that in mind. If I could edit that just a little bit, it's not play like you're loved, but if you want to know how to love God, live like you're loved. Live every day like you are loved and take that assurance. Your challenge is not to earn God's love this week because you'll never earn God's love. He freely gives it. And nothing can separate you from that love. Your challenge is to believe it and to accept it, to revel in it, to let others see it, to live in the knowledge of acceptance and forgiveness. And you pass it on to others every chance you get. I close with Ephesians 3.19. This time from the New Living Translation. Listen to this prayer. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. You are loved. If you know that, won't you accept that? And through faith, confess that Jesus is Lord. He is the Son of God. He died on the cross for you. Let Him make you a new creation in baptism. Washing your sins away. The whole thing He talked about in Romans chapter 6. That new life. Or if we could just pray for you as a child of God. To believe and accept and live it. Which comes with staying and saying to encourage.